doing the work, getting expert advice, doing the work, getting expert advice. That's the way you train and get better at everything. Welcome back to Leading Matters. My guest today is Craig Ballantyne. As always, I'll get into a much more detailed description of who Craig is. But just the long and short of it, he is in the personal coaching industry. And I'm fascinated by this industry because mostly, uh, I didn't realize how large it is. It's literally a $2 billion industry growing uh, at a very rapid clip. And there's a lot of bad actors in it. I'm not going to kid you. There's a lot of bad uh, folks that want to take advantage of your willingness to improve your abilities, to improve your business acumen, to improve your personal development and growth. Craig is not one of those guys. So whenever I come across one that has an awesome and unique and very valuable take and is executing their business with an incredibly high level of integrity, I like to get him on the show. And Craig is one of those guys. So I don't want to seed the conversation too much. I want to get into it in just a second. But listen, we talk to leaders of all stripes, uh, business leaders, individuals that are guiding their own careers, people that want to lead better in their personal life. And what I love about what Craig does, even though he focuses mostly on small businesses and, and single entrepreneurs, he, his application of being a little bit more productive is incredibly practical and can be applied across, I believe, any area of one's life. So you're going to get a lot of value. I think you're going to like Craig. I mean, he's just a, a charismatic guy, uh, speaks real clearly and intelligently about his subject matter, obviously knows it cold. You're going to be happy that you met him, and I think you're going to be happy for a couple of pieces of value that you're going to take away with you. So sit back, relax if you're driving, keep your eyes on the road, and enjoy this conversation with Craig Ballantyne. My guest today is called the world's most disciplined man by many of his friends and coaching clients. He authors The Perfect Day Formula, How to Own the Day and Control Your Life. You may have read his Turbulence Training, which is a world-famous fat-burning workout system, and he's the contributor, has been for 17 years, to Men's Health Magazine. He teaches his clients to get more done, make more money, and still get home in time for dinner. He is Craig Ballantyne, and I'm incredibly happy to have him here today on Leading Matters. Craig, welcome. Thank you so much, Joel. Really appreciate it. So, Craig, I am. I, I read the Perfect Day Formula. Thank you for sending it my way in prep for for our chat today. And one thing that struck me about it, and why I wanted to have you on the show, was that look, there's so many um, resources out there that say, "Hey, avoid procrastination this way," or "Hey, form you know structure, you know your your to do list uh, in this fashion." But what I like about the Perfect Day Formula it is a pull no punches. If you're serious about being disciplined about how you're investing your time over the course of a 24-hour period, do these things. And it starts with the very simplest thing of wake up 15 minutes earlier, and you're going to find that that 15 minutes is going to make a big deal. So help my audience understand why you chose to map out a 24-hour cycle for the average person that might be wanting to be above average in how they produce during the day. That's a great question, Joel. And so what I was doing is, as you mentioned, a lot of there's a lot of other resources out there that kind of do the bits and pieces. But what I wanted to share with people was, you know, a formula for a really, really great day, a perfect day, in fact. And so what that means is not only will you get a lot of work done at work, but we're doing all of this so that we have time with our families. I mean, we're we're doing all of this structure, we're putting all this discipline in place so that we have the life that we want. And I think a lot of other time management books kind of forget about that. And they can make people really, really effective at doing things that don't matter. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to 
address in my book is make sure that you're only doing the things that matter so you can spend time, more time with the people that do matter. So Craig, let me, look, I, I want to dive into it a little bit because I, look, I'm like the average, uh, you know, Jane or Joe out there where, where I have many competing interests in my time. One of my big things is I tend to fall back on doing the work that I like to do the best. And sometimes that, you know, it's, that's a personal preference, like something I like to do. So if I like to do it, if I haven't kind of structured where I should be spending my time, I'll always default to a thing I like to do the best. Now, many times that overlaps and, and kind of intersects with what I should be doing, but sometimes it does not. How do we, like that one particular area where we avoid that which we don't like and sink our teeth into that which we do, how do we, how do we manage that? How do we get over that particular temptation? That's another really great question. So what I teach people is, you know, people like you who default to what they're good at, but then also I work with a lot of entrepreneurs who are, who default to doing things that they can do. Um, not necessarily that they're, that they like doing, but that they can do. For example, some people will spend, you know, an hour a day building their website when they should never, ever, ever, ever be doing that. And so I teach people a couple of things. One, you make a not to do list. And I do these uh, small group coaching workshops. And on the weekend, I had I asked people, what's one thing you'll never, ever do again? And, you know, they said with confidence that they would never clean a toilet or they would never smoke a cigarette. And I said, well, now you have to have that same sort of mentality about things that you should never be doing in your business that somebody else can be doing. And because, again, most people will default to something that they can do if and they will do it if they can. But they have to have boundaries. There has to be that not to do list, which is often as powerful as the to do list so that you don't waste your time and you focus on what matters. And then it's a matter of also getting public accountability and saying, listen, I'm going to you know, get up. I'm going to spend my 15 minutes or first hour of the day focusing on this one thing that I don't want to do, which is, you know, the most important thing. So you can go to Stephen Covey's. It's, you know, four quadrants. It might be the non urgent but important thing that will move you ahead uh, in a big way in life, or it might be the Brian Tracy eat that frog thing. You know, if anybody's read that book, you do the thing that you want to avoid. If you do that thing first thing in the morning, you had that victory that the world can't take away from you. And if you tell people that that's what you're going to do, you don't want to be a hypocrite. And that's also very powerful. So knowing what matters, doing the things that are non-urgent, but very important, and then getting the accountability and being held to that higher standard will allow people, all of us, to overcome that desire to procrastinate on things that we're good at or things that we can do but don't matter as much. Well, listen, let me throw a curveball at you, right, because I, I get that and I, it makes perfect sense. But sometimes in, in practical application, there's and – and what I find is especially when there's dollars and cents involved. So let me kind of give you two examples and I'd be curious what you would suggest to both. So if that person maybe doesn't – ought not to be designing their, their website but they can do it, right – and I know you have a kind of a time calculator in your book where calculate the value of your time and then does this outweigh the value that your time represents. But what if, you know, fiscally they're kind of struggling with their budget and that they, they it might only be a couple hundred dollars, but that couple hundred dollars is going to make the difference between a, a month that they can keep doing it for the next month. So that's, that's one. Well, actually, let me stop with that one. I'm curious what you would say is how do we start to choose not to do the things that we ought not to be doing when we don't maybe feel confident that we have the fiscal resources to approach it that way. 
Oh, nice. Nicely worded. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go to a quote from, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln. I'm not necessarily sure if it was him or somebody else. But he said, if you give me four hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend three hours ch uh, sharpening the axe. And it's the same mentality. If you gave me five hours to design a website, I would spend four of those hours finding somebody to do it for $10 an hour. And then I would, you know, and then I would focus on the other hour on my most important work that'll make me a thousand dollars. And so I've never designed my website, even when I was a struggling and broke personal trainer. I never did that. I found somebody to do it. In this day and age, you can find anybody to do almost anything for pennies on the dollar through Upwork, through Freelancer.com, uh, through Craigslist, finding high school students. You just need to be creative. And that's what comes down to being a resourceful entrepreneur. And, you know, on a higher level, I just read Elon Musk's biography by Ashley Vance, and it is one of the most entertaining, exciting, you know, pump you up. Um, you're not doing anything yet uh, type of book. And I recommend to everybody. I mean, I was reading it for two hours a night. I couldn't put it down. And he would go and he would find experts, experts in every area. And he would get them on board to be part of this crazy mission, even though there wasn't a, a lot of value in it for them. They were just going along and they might be working for a bankrupt startup in a couple months. But it was the power of his vision, his mission, his passion that got people on board. And so that's what I encourage the entrepreneur to do is don't don't give in to that temptation to do the things even when you are struggling. Mm. Put yourself in the place that I'm the boss, I'm the leader, I'm this person on a mission, and that type of person wouldn't do those things. Uh, you see, that, listen, I'm glad we got into this discussion, right? Because what I found, and I've been out on my own for maybe a year and a half or so, and and I and you know you talk to other people that run their own businesses and that have taken that step, and they'll all tell you something similar, that the, the mindset and the mentality of it is f almost far more important than, you know, execution obviously matters, but the way you describe it here is if I don't have that, because it's really a mindset thing, isn't it? In other words, the discipline and the practical application of being disciplined is one thing, but unless and until, and I'm going to ask you, I'll, pose, I'll put position the question, is it true, do you think, that unless and until we have the proper frame of mind, in other words, I might not have a couple hundred dollars, uh, maybe I only have a thousand dollars left on my credit line or whatever, but if I don't mentally want to or can't get over the hump of investing that money because I know where I'm headed and I know what I'm going to do, then maybe I'll, maybe the practical application and discipline will never be achieved. I mean, is that like too much of a hyperbolic kind of look at it or is it really, hey, the mental state makes a big difference? No, it's something that I was talking to a lot of people on the weekend about um, in my coaching program, but also in my business partner. So I own four uh, fitness franchises, and I've never been to any of them. I'm the financial backer, and then I have uh, partners on the ground doing the work. And they often get sucked back into doing the training. They think, oh, you know, one of my uh, trainers canceled today, so I'll just go and do it. And I've been on them over and over and over again that they must make a rule that as a business owner, they want to be millionaires. And so I say to them, as a business owner, you must make a rule that you never do another training session again. You might have to cancel the training session and lose, you know, a couple hundred dollars. But if you are in that mindset, you're totally switching it from I'm working in the business, you know, classic e-myth by uh, Michael Gerber. If you're working in the business all the time, you can never step back and you can never work on the business and move yourself ahead. So it is short term pain. Let's be honest. It is short term pain to cancel a, a session or to have, you know, to have your website not be up for another day. But it is long-term gain 
when you have that switch in your mindset. So I, I get that, right? Um, let, let me shift gears just a little bit because it's I think people that are already taking the risk, and there's certainly a, a fair level of risk involved if you're going to be any sort of entrepreneur, right? So they're already predisposed to kind of risk-taking. But what do you say to – so here's a perfect example because I deal with this almost on a daily basis. I sell – mostly to uh, marketing teams and whatnot. And sometimes I'm not always talking to the marketing leader, uh, but I'm talking to somebody who's got to fight for every dollar. It might be a marketing communications person in a 10-person in a marketing team that has oversight over a certain amount of budget but really doesn't have the approval, the authority to do it. So, so here's, here's what happens in that situation. It's very similar, but the difference is it's not their money, right? What they have to do is they have to fight for money. So they'll say, okay, we want to engage with you, Joel Caparella, but – um, I could probably do some of this myself, so I'll just do it. And why do they make that decision? They make that decision because it's easier for them to do that than to fight the battle of getting the budget allocated in this direction. So they know, in fact, much to your, your premise in the perfect day, uh, for instance, that we shouldn't be doing this. There's a better way that our time is served here. But it's an internal battle to fight to get you know the, this uh, $25,000 or whatever it might be. So what do you say to that person? Because it's a little bit different. It's not their their domain it's not their money but it's certainly their career and their 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 professional application i find a similar objection in my business i'm selling it uh, eventually well usually to the individual entrepreneur or executive and often they will be saying oh you know it's a i got to check with my spouse or something like that but here's the thing is i have to make them look like a hero to their spouse i have to make the the spouse feel like a hero with what um, I'm going to deliver to the person. And so if we go to that marketing team, how can we convince the person who we're contacting that the boss will look like a hero when this person engages with Joel Caparella and uses his services to make that person look good, but ultimately it makes the boss look good in the boss's boss's eyes so that everybody is coming out a hero here, but focusing more on that next level. So that's that comes down to salesmanship and storytelling and, and packaging and, and the proposition. But it really is how can you make all of your clients look like a hero and who they're serving as well? Now, look, that's good advice. I think that sometimes I think people that are selling forget that. I'm curious, Craig, you know, when you've been in, in your business for, for quite a while, and you've had quite a bit of success, but was selling ever an obstacle for you? In other words, did you ever have to kind of, or was it a natural innate thing for you? I'm curious what you've done to sharpen your 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 sales uh, ability in your business. Oh, no, no. It is still like, I, I am the classic, I don't want to sell type of person um, deep down inside. So I did a lot of online marketing for years, and it was actually easy when you were just sending out emails to sales letters or video sales letters, when there wasn't that you know person sitting across from you with the skeptical look in their eye. I mean, I've had trouble with that. But in the last two years, I've really, really grown. And the biggest thing for me, Joel, was doing role playing, doing role playing with my sales coach. You know, we would go through, you know, Craig, here's the, the kind of order you want to go through the script. Here's the close. Here's how to get people to take action um, and not, you know, give the objection of they have to go and check with something. And then it was just, you know, getting on the phone with that person every week and doing an hour or two hours of role playing with different objections. I mean, it was not fun. It was uncomfortable, but 
It's just like when you're training for anything, whether you're training to be a magician, whether you're training to run a marathon, whether you're training to be a better salesperson, you have to do the work. You have to get better. You have to have an expert coach who is giving you expert advice and feedback and showing you, hey, listen, you need to change your technique this way. You know, you need to do this this way. Um, you know, here are all the things that are going to come at you. The, you know, the curveballs like you're throwing at me today. Uh, one of the things I did last year, Joel, was I did 105 podcast interviews and I got, you know, decent at it by the end um, where I was a little bit kind of, you know, stiff at the start. But it was just repetition, repetition and getting feedback. So doing the work, getting expert advice, doing the work, getting expert advice. That's the way you train and get better at everything. Yeah, listen, I love that answer, right? One of Because I, I see, again, I, it's funny because I have the experience that, look, I'm I'm, in, I'm pushing 50. I'm going to be 49 this year, right? And I didn't start mm -hmm. my business until, you know, I was two and a half, a year and a half ago, right? And I have, and I think that's a good thing in, in, for me because I've had the experience of being in a corporate setting. And what I find, especially as I'm selling back into that setting, is that organizations, and I'm curious what, you're, what you think about this, see if I'm right, if I'm off the reservation here. Organizations tend to throw money at a problem, right? In other words... If I need a certain area covered, I'll hire somebody and we'll do that. And it's always a tipping point of we need to have something done, so let's put a body on it, right? And they typically equate a problem to lack of people or lack of resources or lack of talent. Maybe we have the wrong people in the job. But what I find when I'm in there is that there is rarely, very, very rarely, no matter how big or small the business is. Matter of fact, it's worse with the larger companies. Smaller companies have to be a little bit more nimble and more efficient and, and uh, pro productive. But across the board, regardless of the size, I find an incredible lack of discipline, not in a like, oh, you're a horribly run company, but just that they're they're – they're, they're only getting a fraction out of the people they do have on hand. And I'm curious why you think that is because I'm so perplexed by it that the, the what you just walked through about, listen, we have to uh, get better. We have to – I would guarantee you that probably of the majority of sales and marketing teams that I've worked with in the past year and a half since I started this business, maybe a half a percent of them are actually doing role plays type stuff. And the sales guys hate it if they're even asked to do it. Yet – they're, the ones that I do know that are doing it are some of the best sales teams in the world. So why is that? Why do we shy away from the mundane disciplinary type of execution that we know is going to make us better, but yet we don't do it? We'll just throw money at the problem. Why, why is that? Well, there's two answers to that. First of all, you know, back to the thing you talked about at the start, you know, they, they throw money at problems. They bring people in from the outside. And, and I have made this mistake in my own business when we started making a, uh, you know, having success and making more money than we ever had. We look for the man on the white horse. That's what we call it. We, we, me and my business partner, we laugh about it now because we see other people doing it and we feel like we, we notice sometimes even ourselves, we're like, we should go and hire this guy. And then we start laughing, think, oh, we just think the man on the white horse is going to ride in and fix everything. And you're going to get burned by that over and over and over again, because as you said, you have often have the people in house, you know, the techniques to do it, but it's just a lot easier to throw money at the problem and think, Oh, we'll let some, you know, magical guy ride in some wizard come in and and do all the work. But he's actually going to require you to do the work. So you may as well just do the work all on your own. And then, as you mentioned, it's the small and nimble companies that can often make the changes the fastest because it's hard to turn a big ship around. You know, it's hard for people to implement role playing to sales guys that have been on the team for five years, right? I mean, how much feedback and resistance are you going to get from those people? I mean, nobody 
nobody loves change forced on them. And so often case when somebody from the outside comes in, it's difficult to implement that change or even from within. But you nailed it on here are the things, you know, the company knows what to do if only they would do it. And then it's just a matter of convincing them and putting the structure in place to make it easier for people to get started. Craig, let me uh, shift gears just a little bit because before we got on the air here, I, I mentioned that I'm fascinated by this world of, of coaching and training because it's just a, a marketplace that has exploded over the last several years. Uh, and I think that's a good thing and a bad thing. The good is we can literally improve our capabilities in just about every area of our life if we're serious about doing so and get some help to do it. The bad thing is I see a tremendous amount of really bad people out there not bad people but bad coaches and they're not very good at what they do yet they're very quick to take your money um you know help my and whenever i have a coaching type of person on that that's in that industry that's successful in doing it right i always like to get their perspective on the growth of the industry and how we as consumers ought to really consider these services like what are the things how can we discern when it's real and when it's not real when it's going to be beneficial to us and when it's not I think the responsibility falls us falls on ourselves as coaches, and and it's just like getting a financial advisor. It's just like getting a lawyer. Um, it's kind of like being a good salesperson too, Joel. You have to have difficult conversations with people, and what that means is, if you want to get a financial advisor or you want to get a business coach, you need to track down their clients and you need to get on the phone with them or by email and say, hey, listen, can you tell me the good and bad about working with this person? And you should be going deep and deep and deep into their clients. Uh, you know, getting on the phone with a couple of those people, it's just like hiring a person. You want to check their references. And yeah, those, those conversations are, you know, can take time and they might be awkward. And, um, you know, you don't want to hear bad things. You just want to, all you want to hear is, yeah, this person's great. You, you should jump right in. Uh, you, you don't want to have to like actually think for yourself. But, you know, that's what we should do is we should really go to references first and do that whether, again, we want a coach, whether we want a personal trainer, whether we want a financial advisor. It really comes down to asking people who are in a similar situation as you, you know, have they helped you out? Was it worthwhile? You know, did you get the feedback when you needed it? Were they timely in their responses? And if the answers are all positive, then by all means, go for it. Um, but if they're not, keep on looking around. It's like you don't just hire the first person you interview when you're uh, hiring for a position in your company, you have to go and hi uh, you know, interview a lot of people and you have to look at a lot of resumes. So you do have to do the work yourself and that's really important. And then I would also recommend one other thing is make sure that you've invested in some of their other programs first. You know, I mean, you don't have to go right to coaching with somebody. If they have a book, read the book. If they have a seminar, go to the seminar. See how they interact with people. See if they are the same in person as the face that they put online. So, Craig, I, you know, admittedly, I don't know a whole lot about your business other than what I've read online and what I, and what I, uh, you know, know about you from our mutual uh, acquaintance, uh, J.D. Crum, and, and the, the job he did on his show. But who do you target? Like, who do you work with the most these days? Mostly, I work with uh, entrepreneurs of small businesses, uh, about you know, two million to twenty million dollars. I'm doing coaching with those people. I've actually kind of retired from the fitness world. It was something I liked but didn't love. Um, and what I love now is taking this Perfect Day Formula book that you know I used on myself to overcome my anxiety attacks, to to have more time for myself and for my 
hobbies and passions and health and to overcome those anxiety attacks and then therefore build this successful business without sacrificing my life. And now I go and coach people how to do that. So we spend a day doing working on, uh, you know, classic vision stuff, working on their values and then dialing it down from there. OK, if that's what you want to accomplish in three years, here's what you need to do in the next 90 days. Here's what you need to do in the next 30 days. And then here's what you need to do in the next 24 hours. And then here's how your work days need to look like from the time you get up to the time you get home in order for you to, you know, achieve both your personal and professional goals. So that's the type of thing that I really get fired up with, sure. Joel. Um, I mean, in the past, when I would do a fitness seminar, I'd be exhausted by it. But now when I do one of these sessions, I'm not tired at the end of the day. Hmm. So I know I'm on the right track with it. Yeah. Uh, is, are you working one on one as a group kind of uh, approach? I do both. So I have, uh, you know, very high priced one on one. And then we have small group of five people. So it's really intimate. It's a real deep dive, uh, really intense discussions. I, I like to say I go Dr. Phil on somebody for about eight hours. You know, he, I need somebody to say something and, and look me in the eyes and then for me to look them in the eyes and, and judge whether or not they're telling the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And if they're not, we need to dig deeper. And, and I do. I've done a lot of this work on myself. I go to a lot of um, I've done a little bit of therapy work so that I know when I'm lying to myself and that way it helps me see it in other people. So that's what we're doing right now. And eventually, once we've dialed in these systems, we'll do a digital uh, online version of it that will allow people to participate if they can't travel or if they don't have the funds to attend one of the workshops. What is the common denominator? In other words, if there is a common obstacle, the big boulder that nearly every person you've worked with faces of some sort, what, what, what might it be? They just don't feel like they have control of their schedule. They feel like they're overwhelmed by all the competing demands in a good way. And, and so they're successful entrepreneurs who are overcome and overwhelmed with opportunity. And I know what that's like. Um, you know, I to this day am often asked to speak at events here, there and everywhere. And I think, oh, you know, I might go and meet some really great people. But I also have some personal goals that dictate that, no, you can't be on the road every weekend if you want to build relationships at home. And so I put in rules that stop me from from saying yes. I mean, that my my natural in instinct is to take every speaking engagement because I love doing it and I love meeting people. But I can't do that. Um, and so with my clients, it's the same sort of thing. What rules do we have to put in place so that you operate very, very efficiently at work and you're able to get home and be present with your family? You're able to get home and take care of your health that you've been neglecting for the last 20 years. That's really the common denominator. So, Craig, where can we learn a little bit more? I want to I want to make sure my audience knows where they should go, where, what they should do, if they want to pick up the book, where can they get that? Just share with my audience, you know, where they go to uh, find out more. Yeah, so I would love to send everybody a copy of the book. So we have a free plus shipping book offer at freeperfectdaybook.com. All you have to do is pay the shipping and handling. It's like 9.95 and we'll ship you a copy of the book, Perfect Day Formula. And then if they want to know more about the workshops, they can go to perfectlifeworkshop.com. I have a video there from myself. I have information about the day. And then they can hear from about 20 entrepreneurs that have gone through it with little uh, success story videos about how even their spouses have noticed the difference in them and how they have greater control of their time. And if you're a really high performer, then you'll hear from the people who have just leveraged one tweak into, you know, six figures of revenue and bigger ideas. So perfectlifeworkshop.com for the coaching and then for the free book, freeperfectdaybook.com. 
And I've read the book. It's definitely worth the read if you're looking for some more very, very detailed and practical advice on how to be a little bit more productive, across, not a little bit, but quite more productive during your day. I want to thank Craig Ballantyne for being here. Uh, listen, I, I do a lot of these. Greg's probably my 65th guest or so. And I'm really curious about this coaching industry. And I'm always on the lookout for those that are really getting it right and nailing it in their area of expertise. And Craig is one of those guys. So I would encourage you to go check them out. I would encourage you to pass this one along to the leaders in your life that think need to hear it. And most of all, I want to thank Craig Ballantyne for being my guest today on Leading Matters. Thanks so much, Joel. I've, I've done a lot of these interviews. And I will say the quality of the podcast is always comes back to the quality of the questions and you threw some curveballs and that's what made this one so great uh, thanks so much Greg talk to you soon